You may be seated. Well, today is the 14th uh, message in this sermon series on the dynamics of the Christian life following the storyline of John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's uh, Progress. And over the weeks, we've observed God's faithfulness in sanctifying and disciplining and preserving the pilgrims as they are making their journey on what is a very difficult and dangerous road. God is faithful, isn't he, to preserve us even in the dangerous Christian journey. But yet God is also faithful to refresh us, and we see this today as we come to this part of of the series that's represented in John Bunyan's story where Christian and Hopeful come to the Pleasant River, and there they're able to drink deeply of that refreshing water and find rest. So we'll be looking at three things today. You'll find this listed on your sermon outline, the river, and then secondly, the call to come and drink deeply of that flowing, life-giving water. And then thirdly, I want to at least mention two obstacles that keep people from drinking deeply of Christ. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we come to this passage of Scripture, we come, many of us, if not all of us, needing and wanting rest for our souls. And so we trust you as you have called us to rest in Christ, that we might be reminded of your faithfulness in bringing that about as we are on the journey of the Christian life. And so bless us today from your word, enable me to be faithful as I preach, enable us to be faithful as we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the river. Let's look at, at water. The Dead Sea in the Holy Land is about 1,300 feet below sea level, and it's estimated to be about 30% more concentrated than the ocean. I've been in it. I would not recommend drinking from it at all. It cannot sustain any aquatic life. The only living things in the Dead Sea are tourists like me who for some unknown and crazy reason want to jump in there and float. The good news is you cannot drown in the Dead Sea. You float. That water is not life-giving but life-taking. And yet Jesus speaks about water that is life-giving. And I want us to see a contrast here. Water that takes life, that brings sickness and death versus water that gives life and wholeness. So take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 7. Verses 37 through 39. This will be our main text today. We'll be looking at a number of scriptures today, but this is home base for today. John 7, 37 through 39. Let me read this for us. 
On the first day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus speaks about living water here. He calls us to come to him and drink. So let's look at this this concept of flowing water, rivers, and life-giving water in the scriptures. Interestingly, the Bible begins with a river. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. God's provision of rivers and flowing water, life-giving water, are seen in other places in Scripture as well. I'll just simply mention a few. One major passage is the is the 47th chapter of the prophet Ezekiel in verses 1 through 12, where there Ezekiel talks about a river flowing out of the temple itself. And then in verse 12, we find the benefit of this river flowing from the temple. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 11 speaks about the refreshment that comes from the spring that never fails, that never stops flowing. Isaiah 58, verse 11, And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. In a scorched place, you will be like a watered garden. And in the Psalter, has many places where we find life-giving water, flowing water, rivers. I'll just simply mention three in the passage that Tom read earlier from Psalm 1. He, that is, the godly person, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers because of the water. And then in Psalm 36, verses 8 through 9, we see that this this life-giving water is abundant. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And then in Psalm 46, verse 4, that this water brings joy and gladness. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Let me rephrase that. 
there is a stream that makes glad Covenant Presbyterian Church the holy habitation of the Most High. And then we're reminded in the New Testament of one passage in particular, not only the passage that we read today where Jesus speaks about life-giving water, but in John chapter 4, earlier in the gospel, where Jesus encounters the sinful woman at the well, and he answered the woman, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The Bible begins with a river. We see rivers and flowing water and life-giving waters all through the pages of Scripture. And the Bible ends with a river. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree, the leaves of the tree, that is by that life-giving water, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, dead sea, waters of death. God's river, flowing water, life-giving water, life and healing. These references to water that we've read don't really point to physical water, but point to the true river. In Bunyan's allegory, the true pleasant river, the true life-giving water, Jesus and his redeeming work. He is the living water. He is the pleasant river. And he calls us, secondly, to drink deeply of his supply. Second point in your sermon outline. On an uncommonly hot and humid day in July in the mid-80s, in Salem, Massachusetts, I was struggling as I ran. The water stations were simply spread too far apart along this 10K race that I was running in. But as I would come to one of these water stations, there would be a call, take, drink. And let me tell you something, I took and I drank and felt refreshed, if only for a step or two. And then I had to labor on until the next water uh, station. And my experience back when I was in seminary in Salem, Massachusetts, on that hot, humid July day is, a, is an experience that I think many of you have had as you have also run in a 10K or a half marathon or a marathon race as you're struggling, as you're running, as you need that refreshing water. 
along uh, the way. But these foot races that are very much a part of our experience and our culture really point to the great foot race, which is the journey of the Christian life. And here is the point that I want to make. The water stations are never too far apart. In fact, we always have the water station as we are running the race of the Christian uh, life. We're always offered refreshment at the pleasant river and called to drink deeply of it. In John chapter 7, verse 37, that we read earlier, Jesus offers living water to all, and he says, If you are thirsty, come to me and drink. On the last day of the feast, verse 37 of John 7, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, what is the great day? What is the feast that we find as the context of Jesus saying what he said, of issuing this call to the thirsty to come and drink. What is the Feast of Tabernacles? So you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 23. And the seven days prior to the close of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a water ceremony that would take place each morning. So for six days, the priests would gather at the pool of Siloam and they would have golden pitchers and they would each dip their golden pitcher into the pool of Siloam and fill it up with water. And led by the high priest, they would each carry their golden pitcher full of water to the temple and place those pitchers around the altar. They would do that for six days, once a day in the morning and as this procession of priests with their golden pitchers full of water would pass through the water gate on the way to the temple, the shofar would be sounded. And the people there would begin singing from the Psalter, Psalms 113 to 118, prayers of thanksgiving and harvest, beseeching God and praising Him for His provision of water to replenish the cisterns in the fall after a hot, dry summer period. Now, on the seventh day, this water ceremony procession would take place seven times. And then on the eighth day, the, the, the great day, the last day, there would be prayer and reflection by the people. So that's the context. The Feast of Tabernacles, in the backdrop, is this water ceremony that is taking place where Jesus makes this statement, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, commentators are divided on, was it the eighth day that Jesus made this statement or the seventh day? It really doesn't matter. The point is abundantly clear. The water ceremony symbolized God's provision of life-giving water for the crops and for the people. And Jesus is saying, I'm the ultimate fulfillment of God's provision of water. The water of eternal life 
the waters of healing. Jesus' Jesus's call fulfills what Isaiah declared in chapter 12 and verse 3. With joy you will draw water, not from the pool of Siloam, but from the well of salvation, Christ. Jesus' call fulfills Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 8. On that day, living waters, not, not water from the pool of Siloam that is carried in a procession and placed around the altar, but Zechariah prophesies on that day, living water shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. You get the picture? This water flowing out of the temple in Jerusalem will go everywhere all the time and encompass the earth, that flowing water from Jerusalem. And Zechariah's prophecy is Jesus. Jesus is saying, with that water ceremony having taking place, I am the living water. And if you thirst, don't drink that water from the pool of Siloam. That will quench your thirst for a moment. But if, you, if your soul is thirsty, come to me and drink. Believe in me, and I will give you new life and life everlasting. This, this call that Jesus makes in John 7 and verse 37 is very similar to the call that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 when he said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. We're on a journey. And the journey of the Christian life is a difficult journey. We become weary. We become thirsty. And we long for our thirst to be quenched. We long for rest. And God has provided it in Jesus Christ. And we are called to believe upon him. We are called to drink deeply of his saving work, of his supply. He is the life-giving water. And the fountain of his saving work is refreshment and rest for the people of God. And that fountain of his saving work is always available, and we see it right here in the text. In verses 38 and 39 of John 7, the Lord says this, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then in verse 39, he speaks about the fact that the Spirit had not come pervasively as promised because Jesus had not yet ascended, but he will ascend. And he will send the Spirit, the Comforter. That's what we read in verse 39. But with the coming of the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit's work in us is this, that when we believe, we are filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit is there applying the saving benefits of Christ uh, to us. The, the fact that a believer has the Spirit 
means that all of the benefits of Christ's saving work is always available for us. Think of it like this. The pleasant river, the, the, the life-giving water is always flowing and available for us because the Spirit indwells us and is, and is working the saving benefits of Christ in us. It's always available by faith. And we're called to turn and trust in the Spirit and receive all that the Spirit has for us. And as we do that, Jesus says in verse 38, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And I simply want you to think of it in this way. So abundant is the life-giving water that is always available to the people of God by by the Spirit, through faith, that is so abundant, He so fills us that He fills us to overflowing. And that overflow is a blessing to others. That is just how abundant the pleasant river of Christ's saving work is to us. And it's available to us always. God was faithful to Christian and hopeful. And he brought them to the pleasant river after much travail thus far in their journey. And there they sat by that pleasant river and they rested and they were nourished and they drank deeply from that refreshing water. And God is faithful to you and me that by the Spirit through faith we have the life-giving water so abundant that it actually overflows in our life and blesses other people. That's just how available rest and refreshment and the life-giving water of Christ is for each one of us by faith. But what keeps us from drinking deeply of Jesus' supply well, the first thing I would note is that a hard, unregenerate heart keeps one from drinking deeply of the life-giving water of Christ. If someone has a hard, unregenerate heart, they're not going to listen to Jesus' call. They're not going to recognize that indeed they are thirsty, and they're surely not going to come and partake of that life-giving water. Let me ask you this question. That, might that describe you today? If it does, we find in Scripture there's much hope for this obstacle. This obstacle of a hard heart that would cause one not to accept the call of Jesus to come and drink. And today, if, if you're here and you lack love for Christ and you're not con you don't see yourself as thirsty, it could be, very well be that your heart is yet hard. But I want to say there's hope for you. There's hope for hard-hearted people that, at least at present, don't feel the need to come to Jesus and drink deeply that their thirst might be quenched. 
I read a passage from John chapter 4 just a little while ago. It's a very well-known passage where Jesus is there in Samaria at a well. And a Samaritan woman, of all, a woman and then a Samaritan woman comes and Jesus actually asks her to draw water from the well, which is really odd for Jesus or any, any upstanding Israelite to ask a woman and a Samaritan woman at that to draw water. But this, this Samaritan woman at the well represents everything the Jewish people believed was unclean and sinful. She was a Samaritan, she was unclean, but she was also an adulterous, uh, adulterous many times over. Just think of the most sinful person that you could possibly think of, and you're thinking of this woman. And she comes to this well, and Jesus is there, and Jesus asks her to draw water, and they, they get into this conversation. And then in, verse, in chapter 4 of John, in verse, verses 13 through 15, this is what Jesus says. Everyone who drinks of this water, that is the water that is in this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Sir, give me this water. Have you been resistant to responding to Jesus like this sinful woman? Maybe you don't see your need to say, Jesus, give me the water that you offer. Jesus, give me all the benefits of your saving work. I need it. But there's hope. This woman said, sir, give me this water, and she received Jesus and drank deeply of his saving work. And I would encourage you today in this hope that you might come to the place, like the sinful woman, of crying out to Jesus, give me this water. Everything that men and women and young children do in and of themselves to give them life like drink water from a well will not satisfy there is only one place where someone is satisfied completely and it is the water that is Jesus and his saving work and if you have not may you say Jesus give me your water save me but there's a second obstacle that I think speaks to so many of us here today, and I'm in the front of that line. And it's the obstacle of an idolatrous heart. I would commend one scripture to you. It's a scripture that has helped me so very much understand uh, the dynamics. Well, I should say understand more because I really can't and will never fully understand the dynamics of my heart. Uh, but this has helped me understand more the dynamic of my heart. And it's one verse in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. It's just kind of stuck there, you know, in the middle of this second chapter, easily missed. But it is one of the most profound 
verses of scripture with regards to what idolatry really is. And here it is. Where through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Like ancient Israel, we have been refreshed by that fountain of living water, the river of God, right? We've been united to Christ Jesus in saving faith. We have already drunk deeply of his saving work. We've benefited from it mightily. But our problem, like the ancient Israelites, even having experienced the rest and refreshment of the living, life-giving, flowing, abundant water of Jesus, we so easily turn. And we literally take our little spade and dig a little hole where we might dig deep enough, maybe some of the water there will bubble up. And we say, oh, this will give me life. Money will give me life. Reputation will give me life. Position will give me life. This, this job will give me life. Um, religion could be that little mud puddle, that little cistern that we've hewn will give me life. And we begin drinking out of a little mud puddle when, <laughs> when there is this, this massive, flowing, torrential river that is life. And we turn from it and drink out of a mud puddle that we have made. Do you see how Jeremiah 2.13 describes idolatry, turning from Jesus and trusting in something that we have crafted to give us life. I, uh, <laughs> on the day that I swam in the Dead Sea, by the way, if you ever go to the Dead Sea, do not shave the morning you swim in the Dead Sea because, uh, ladies, that goes for you too, no shaving, because it'll really burn. But I remember that very same day having been in that, that dead, that, that water that is death. I also was standing by, I, I, Renee and I were in an oasis, a real oasis in the Judean wilderness. And there was the spring of Angadi that was flowing. And the lust lush vegetation all around. It was cool. It was refreshing. It was peaceful. It was restful. I, I could just think of King David hiding out there <laughs> and drinking from that spring, maybe gathering as a little, as a, as a young boy, gathering those five stones from the spring. I don't know if you're there or not. And then going to do battle with, with Goliath. And I just remember, what a, what a contrast. Just, just a little bit ago, I was in a body of water that was death. And now I'm by this, this spring of water that is life-giving. And I thought to myself, 
Oh my, the choice is ever so simple. Would I choose death or would I choose life? What about you? Would you choose death by not turning to Jesus and drinking deeply of His saving grace? Or would you choose life? Accepting and receiving the call and the offer and by faith turning to Jesus and drinking deeply. Would you continue as a believer who understands the rest and refreshment of the living, life-giving water of Jesus, continue to drink out of your little mud puddle? Or would you repent and turn back yet again to that, that flowing water, that cool, refreshing spring that gives life. You see, Jesus calls sinners to come for the first time to him. He also calls his children who have turned from him and who are drinking out of their own little mud puddle. He basically says the same things to both. If you're thirsty, come to me and I will give you drink. I will give you life. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do ask you to work in our hearts and in our lives. For those who may be here who are thinking about Jesus and what he offers, yet not having believed, oh Father, I pray that you might give the gift of faith and repentance. For those others like myself who, who know you, who have enjoyed the refreshment of the pleasant river and yet struggle with turning yet again to our own little mud puddles, would you also, Lord, give us the gift of repentance and faith that we would turn and drink deeply of that life-giving water, that water that is abundant, that water that never stops flowing, that water that we find at the beginning of Scripture and at the end of Scripture and will be in heaven itself. Lord, cause us to believe and to drink deeply of Christ, I pray in his name. Amen.